Well, it was November 4th, 1979. A group of revolutionaries, uh, primarily students, breached the United States Embassy in Tehran. And what came of that was something we, we came to know as the Iran hostage crisis. 52 United States diplomats were held captive for 444 days. It was not until uh, January 20th of 1981 that they were freed from captivity, just moments after Ronald Reagan was sworn into office as President of the United States. Now, what I remember about that is it being a huge deal in the United States. I think I was in the sixth grade when that started and I was in the seventh grade when Ronald Reagan became president of the US. And I remember uh, the yellow ribbons that were everywhere uh, you know, to remind people, you know, pray for the hostages. You know, we need to bring these hostages home. 52 US Americans held for the better part of 15 months. And it was such a big deal that one network, ABC, even started a new news broadcast because of it, Nightline. And, uh, and Ted Koppel was the anchor of that, and he held that anchor chair for decades. And, and it, was, it was that big of a deal to us that 52 of our own and that our sovereign soil had been taken over by someone else. Now, we turn to Exodus chapter 12. I want to read in Exodus 12, verses 12 and 13. On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, these instructions are given uh, so that the children of Israel will have their lives spared, the lives of their firstborn. And so the, the setting of this is that God's people have been in captivity. Now we thought it was a big deal when some of our countrymen were in captivity for 444 days. These people had been in captivity for 430 years according to Scripture. And so God sent His diplomat, you could say, sent Moses to go talk to the Egyptian king. And so, and so the Egyptian king was given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to release God's people and let them go and worship God at the mountain. But Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. Even in the times when he said, yeah, it's okay, you can go, then he would say, nope, nope, not so fast. 
and he would stop them. And so God sent plague after plague after plague. And so finally, God had to hit them where it hurt. And he had to do what he tried to avoid doing. God had to take human life. Because I truly believe that human life, even if it's human life that doesn't turn and worship God, God still looks at that human life as precious. God wants every life to turn to Him. And God gives every human life ample opportunity to turn to Him. And so we have a situation now where, where uh, the, the people have to experience death within their own families. Pharaoh had to experience death within his own family before he finally said, you know, I am letting your people go. Freed from over 400 years of bondage. Over 400 years of slavery. Now, the sign that the angel of death would pass over that house was, as, as most of us know, was the blood of the lamb. And so the lamb's blood was put outside of each household. And it was put, it was put around that front door. And so then the, the people in that house, the, those firstborn, they were spared in that house. And so it was the blood of the lamb that saved. Now, this message is called Triumph Part 2. Last week with the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, we had Triumph Part 1. And so today we look at Jesus as the Lamb of God. And so that is why the, the uh, children of Israel every year, why the Jews would celebrate the Passover because it was a reminder to them for centuries it has been a reminder of them of to them of what God did and it's the same reason we gather around this table on each Sunday morning each first day of the week is because it is a reminder to us it was a reminder to them of of how they would slaughter a lamb and use a lamb as a sacrifice and uh, and they would they would repeat that every year at Passover, and there were very strict rules in place. And one thing that they had to do is had to get a lamb that was without any defect or blemish. It had to be what was considered a perfect lamb. And when you consider over Jewish history. The, undoubtedly the millions of lambs that were slaughtered just in the years that the temple existed. They would slaughter a lamb every morning and every evening, year round. And then when you think about the lambs that were slaughtered for various types of sacrifices and offerings throughout the year. And then when you put on top of that all the Jewish families that would slaughter a lamb for the Passover feast or Passover celebration. And so it was a reminder to them of blood being shed because the blood represented saving. The blood represented atonement. And so uh, I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1.
In 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to read verses 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so that lamb had to be absolutely perfect. Just as we began our time together, and I read some words from Karl Barth, I want to read some more of his thoughts. What happened on that day became, was, and remained the center around which everything else moves. For everything lasts its time, but the love of God which was at work and was expressed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, lasts forever. Because this event took place, there is no reason to despair. And even when we read the newspaper with all its confusing and frightening news, there is every reason to hope. Now, Karl Barth wrote those words in Europe decades ago. Uh, at a time when the newspaper was still the primary, primary mode in which people got their information and got reliable news. Yeah, that was the medium of choice for so long. And so those words, though, I think, are, are, still, uh, are still applicable and appropriate today. That, uh, that, that we still, uh, in spite of all the bad news we see uh, around us right now, the fact that there is literally death all around us as now uh, the number of, of people who have died at, at the hands of our current pandemic. I think worldwide it's over 100,000. Here in the United States, uh, it's, it's now over 20,000 people have lost their lives. But in the midst of all that suffering, in the midst of all that death, all that grieving, all that pain, there is still hope, isn't there, church? And so, I want us to look now at John's Gospel. I want us to look first at John chapter 1. I want to begin with verse 29. This is John the Baptist uh, who is testifying about the person that Jesus is. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's think about that for a second. John knew who he was preaching to pave the way for. John knew who his cousin Jesus was. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Of the world. Can I get an amen, church? <laughs> this is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. 
And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And so John, who even resisted baptizing Jesus, knowing who Jesus was, says, no, wait a second, you know, it's you that needs to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, this is how it needs to be. And John acknowledges that the one that comes after me was actually before me because John gets it. John knows that Jesus isn't someone who just came along some 27 to 30 years ago at this time. That Jesus was God. That Jesus existed from the very beginning. And I've, I've said to those who have heard me preach and teach for several years now, uh, I can wrap my mind around eternity, about not having an end. But I can, for the life of me, I cannot wrap my mind around a God who never had a beginning, who has always existed. And ultimately, I just have to just say, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. The fact that there are aspects of God that I don't understand makes God worth worshiping. Because He is above us. He will always be above us. But yet, He loves us enough that He created us. And He didn't make us His minions. He gave us free will. He gives us the freedom to choose Him because that's what love is. Anyone who has ever been in a relationship knows what it's like that someone chooses to be with you. And so that is the love that God has for us. I want to look finally at John uh, chapter 10. John, John 10 beginning with verse 17. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. And this of course is Jesus talking. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is, de is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, Jesus talking here about uh, his being the shepherd of the sheep, being the, the good shepherd, and that the, the shepherd is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And that's exactly what he did. 
every time we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating a God who loved us so much that He was willing to die for us, shed His blood for us. But let's, let's never lose sight that we're celebrating a God who, as Steve mentioned in his prayer today, has power over death because He walked out of the tomb. The tomb became empty on that first Easter Sunday. And the tomb has been empty every day since then. And that is worth celebrating, not just one Sunday out of the year, as some are in the habit of doing. That is worth celebrating every single day of our lives. Amen. That we serve a God who has power over death. As Steve said that that thing that, that human beings fear most. And yes, there are lots of things that people fear. People fear snakes. People fear public speaking. There are lots of things that people can fear. But I think he's right in that ultimately, more than anything else, there are so many people that fear death. But we as God's children don't have to share in that fear. And praise be to God for that reality. Now, N.T. Wright, in one of his books, wrote that if, if this were all a hoax, if, the, if these apostles uh, were trying to pull a fast one on humanity, if they were trying to pull, pull something on the people uh, in, in their region of first century Palestine, uh, he said, why would they have tried to convince people that Jesus died and then was resurrected? Because that idea, he says, is so outlandish, so preposterous, that that's what separates Christianity from every one of the other of the world's other religions is that there have been gods and there have been prophets in lots of religions there have been uh, creation narratives there have been flood narratives there are lots of similarities in other religions that that uh, that uh, uh, have some parallels with Christianity and with Judaism for that matter but no other religion offers a God of love, such tremendous love, that He was willing to shed His own blood as an atoning sacrifice. No other religion has that. But if He had just been a guy who died, then it wouldn't be a big deal. It wouldn't have been a sustainable movement. It wouldn't have been a bona fide religion. But he didn't stay dead. He did exactly what he said he would do. And on the third day, he walked out of the tomb. Oh, praise God. And this line, this this what what, what John tells us that some of the 
of the people said when listening to Jesus. But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And if you're somehow participating in this worship with us this morning, and you are not someone who has confessed that I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you've not yet been immersed in the waters of baptism to become a child of God, then right now you're among the blind. But I pray that you will be among those who once were blind, but that now you see that maybe, just maybe, this message this morning, if it hasn't convinced you, it has at least planted a seed in you that says, I need to look into this on a more deeper level. I need to consider what Christianity offers. Don't be, don't let yourself be disappointed uh, by the Christians you know that have let you down. Humans, Scripture tells us, will always fail. Humans will always let us down. But God does not disappoint. God does not let us down. God carries us through our deepest troubles. And God has a place for us in eternity. A life that has no end. Praise be to God. Thank mm -hmm.